You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. We're going to jump right into Mark chapter 4. Uh, we're going to do that because there's so much for us to get out of here. And even with that, we're not going to touch most of the chapter. So this is why it's so important for us each to be in small groups so that we can have an extended time together to really get into the depths of what God's Word says to us. Our small groups, just about all of them, run along with our, uh, our teaching schedule. So uh, if you want to get more out of this than we can get out of a, a, a 35, 45, 55-minute sermon, then I encourage you to get into one of those groups. Um, the man you need to see if you want to join a small group is Phil, and uh, he's got his hand raised now. Yeah, there he is. So let's jump into it. Mark chapter 4, I'm going to read the first couple of verses. Verse 1 to 3 says again, He, Jesus, began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down, while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. He taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. Stop there. This aspect of Jesus' ministry, this teaching in parables, is a very significant part of his teaching. If you know anything about Jesus, you'll know that he was a great storyteller. This was something he had a real affinity for, the ability to tell stories that people could relate to, um, not only on, on the surface, but that he was able to use those everyday stories to tap into much deeper, eternal, cosmic truths. That's really the purpose of his speaking in parables, and um, this is something we all are familiar with, obviously. I mean, especially, I I guess, if you're a parent, you know that the the necessity of speaking in parables to little kids. You can't just speak in abstract. Kids don't get it. You need to be able to take difficult things and help them understand by use of parable, by use of simile. It's, It's whenever a parent says, it's like this, Kids always asking questions. Well, it's like this. I remember this actually. When we first moved here, India was had just turned one, and I used to get up early with her, and we'd go for a walk from our place, just a couple of k's down the road, uh, down by the creek, Corroate Creek. And I don't know if you know about this, but there is a small, like, village of stray cats that lives in Corroate Creek. There's hundreds of them. I don't know how they got there, but they, they like to hang out there. And so we would go for a walk, and every morning we'd see the, just dozens of feral cats. And, um, and I, I do remember India asking me, what, what is that? Like, pointing to the cat, what is that? And so it's no good me describing for her or, you know, um, categorizing for her the the, the, the feline genus of, you know, going into my book of zoology and explaining what characterises cats. She had a dog at the time, and so I was able to say to her, cats are a bit like dogs, without the loyalty. <laughs> and so that's, that's a simile, right? You say, that thing that you don't know is a bit like this thing that you do know. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in the parables. He's taking, like the example of a sower, 
in an agrarian society where you only eat what you can grow, this is something that normal people, people who weren't well educated, could understand. This, okay, so this, this, this cosmic truth about the kingdom of God, which is beyond the scope of most people's brains to grasp and to understand in any level of depth, that thing is a bit like this thing. So that's one side of the parable, the, the, the kind of purpose of the parables, but it gets confusing because as we just heard in that reading, parables were also used by Jesus to keep people from understanding some things. It's tricky. He says in verse 10 to 12, take a look at it. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. He answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. He quotes Isaiah chapter 6 there, and that the passage of Isaiah is all, is all about the hard-heartedness of Israel. The fact that though they called themselves the people of God, they had hardened themselves so, so much against him that they were unable to hear him. They were unable to hear even his messengers like Isaiah and Jeremiah and so on. So the parables, when spoken to people who are open-hearted, soft-hearted towards the things of God, towards the gospel, the kingdom, they become, for those people, a way of explaining deep truths in, 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 in ways that they can understand. For those who are hard-hearted, for those who refuse to have God's kingdom make any impression on them, for those who have said, I'm going my own way, I don't need you, God, for, for those people, these parables become... Warnings. They're warnings against hard heartedness. In some cases, the parables themselves actually act to further harden the hearts of people who have turned away from God. So, we're going to see in this parable that we're going to focus on, Jesus says, the word is preached, right? The word is shared, the gospel, the news of the gospel, the kingdom goes out, and some people receive it and others don't. Some people have really soft soil to receive that word, and others are like a hardened, compacted path. And the reality is for us who who love Jesus and, and, and want to see his kingdom established around us, the, the reality is that this is what we're going to see as we go about that work. As we go about the work of making all of life all about Jesus and sharing the good news of the gospel with others, we're going to see the, the, that news hardens some people. Their response is to close up even more. And for others, it opens them up. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, and he always says it in a beautiful and eloquent way. Worth quoting him whenever he can. We got a quote there from Spurge? Okay, I'll just say what he said. Basically, he said, um, The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. 
that same sun. It's not like one sun is used, you know, I'm talking about the sun in the sky, one sun is used to melt wax and a different kind of sun hardens clay. No, it's the same sun. That is, the, the same gospel is preached and for some people it has a hardening effect and for others it melts them. And the point is it's not up to us as the sowers, not up to us as the speakers to determine who hardens and who softens. That's God's work. And you're going to see in this parable where Jesus explains the the different ways that the word of God is received by people, he seems to be completely non-anxious about the outcomes. He's not freaked out about the fact that some people reject his words and others receive it. For Jesus, this is simply the means by which the kingdom comes about in, on earth. It's simply the, the means by which the gospel spreads over the face of the earth. It's with mixed results. And so if you're an A-type personality and you're, you're, you're a bit like me, like you think everything should have a perfect outcome every time you do it, then this is going to be troubling for you. And Jesus isn't troubled by it. So here we go. Why don't we read this? One of the most famous of all of Jesus' parables. Verse 3 through to verse 9. This is Jesus, you know, this is, this is his, it's like this moment. Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. And he sowed, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked it and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on the good ground and it grew up producing fruit that increased 30, 60 and a hundred times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. You see the way he does his ministry of sharing the, the gospel with people? He, he, he broadcasts it. Right? That's, a, that's a sowing term. Broadcasting is actually the, the term he uses here when he talks about sowing. Broadcast, we think about that in terms of media, right? We throw a signal out there and people pick it up. It goes back to this agrarian society where you, 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 you sow seed. You broadcast the word. And then he says, anyone who has ears to hear, listen. And he knows that that's not everyone. Even for him, the son of God, that's not everyone. So let's just break it down a little bit. I just want to take this passage and break it down and see what does this actually mean for us in Caroline Springs in 2019, for the mission that God has given us. What does this, what does this tell us about the way things work, the, what, what we're called to, and what we should expect as we go about this mission that he's given us? Helpfully, when it comes to breaking it down, Jesus does all the work for us, right? He goes on to explain exactly what he means by this. And so I just want to look at that, get his explanation of what's happened, and then take from it anything that might be helpful for us. So have a look at verse 33 to 34. Mark says, He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these, as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. 
Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. So in verse 13 to 14, he said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? And he begins, the sower sows the word. That's the first thing we need to know. If we're trying to understand what does this story mean, you need to know the sower is sowing seed, and that is, for Jesus in this story, the word. Remember, this parable doesn't exist for its own. Jesus doesn't care if you know about how sowing works, how seeds work. That's not the point. It's a metaphor. In fact, you could say, and we won't get into this because it blows your mind a little bit, but all of language is metaphor, right? Every word is a metaphor. No language exists for its own right. When I say the word moon, I'm not, not, the word moon isn't the moon. It's just pointing you to the moon, right? So that these, these parables, these metaphors don't exist in their own right. I don't care if you know about sowing or seeds or anything else. The only purpose of it is that we need to know what sowing and seeds is enough to get the deeper meaning of the, of the story. And he says here, the deeper meaning that you need to know is when, when I talk about seeds, I'm talking about words. When the sower sows the seed, that is the act of speaking. It is sharing not only words in general, but the word of God, the gospel, the, the news of the kingdom. This, this kingdom, this act, Active, kingly rule of God that came with Jesus. Remember the first thing he says in Mark's gospel, repent for the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. It's among you. So the message that the sower is spreading and sowing is this message of the good news of the kingdom of God, God, God's active kingly rule over all creation. Come now in Jesus, fulfilled when he comes again. That's the message. He says that word that's thrown out, that's literally broadcast, falls on a few different types of soil. So let's look at the first one, verse 15. Some are like the words sown on the path. So we're talking about people now. We're talking about hearers. We're talking about receivers of the word. Some who receive the word are like words, the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. So he says, the first thing you need to know is sometimes when you broadcast the word, And here he's speaking of himself mainly as the sower, but anyone who follows in his footsteps and shares the good news of the kingdom, he's referring to you as well. Every time you you broadcast the good news of the gospel, some of it's going to fall on hard soil. He talks about a a path. You think about a path. We concrete our paths. In his day, it's just where everyone walks. And where everyone walks gets compacted, right? It gets hard gets dried out it gets solidified and so if seed falls on that path it's got not much chance really of taking root does it it's just going to sit there and what do the birds do 
The birds aren't going where the seeds are going to have good soil and they sink in and the, the, the seeds are going to get beyond their grass. They go to the easy pickings. These birds in those days didn't go to picnic grounds because there weren't any. They went to footpaths. That's where you could pick up the easy seed. And he says, those birds in the parable I told, those birds are representative of Satan and demons. And so whenever you broadcast the word, there's going to be these annoying little birds who come and whose whole role is pecking up the seed, taking away the word before it can take root. So this is really important because this gives us another kind of image for Satan that we might not have in the forefront of our mind. I think for most of us, we think of Satan using the imagery of the Bible as, you know, he's a, he's a roaring lion pacing around, looking for someone to devour. That's true about Satan. He's threatening, he's aggressive, he's intense, he's, he's dangerous like a lion looking for someone to devour. He's also a little willy-wag tail. He's that annoying, he's that ibis that doesn't leave you alone when you're at the zoo and you're trying to have a picnic. Right? He's that, he's that as well. Satan and demons are that, that annoying little presence who wants to come and take away what's been sown. Some of the seed fell on the path. And when these people hear, these hard-hearted people hear the word, Satan comes and takes away the word that's been sown into them. I took a funeral recently, and funerals and weddings are great opportunities to share the good news of the kingdom, especially funerals, because Jesus' whole message is, I have eternal life right here, right? You're going to perish because of your sin, and I'm here to take that sin upon myself and give you, in return, eternal life. That's the message. And so funerals are a great opportunity to say, hey, listen, we've got death right here. All the other days of the year, you're trying to ignore the reality of death. And everyone's doing it at the same time. So really comfortable ignoring death. But right now, there's a guy in a box right in front of you. So it's a good opportunity, right? And so you, you, you broadcast the good news of eternal life offered to everyone here in this chapel today, right? You, you, you broadcast that truth, and I'm telling you, I, I, you can see the different soils in the congregation. And this one I did recently, I can just see some path soil, some compacted, hard-hearted soil. It's, it's it, the people who answer their phones during the service or who are just rolling their eyes constantly while you're talking about the good news of the gospel or, or just, you know, a, an implicit hardening, even just down to body language, a turning away, right? Now, my sort of personality, I, I see that and I get discouraged and I just want to get down there and I just, I just want to shake that person and, and say, don't you understand this? Don't you get it? Do you, do you not see what God has done for you? Do you not see the gift that he wants to present to you? Jesus' response is not to do that. 
In fact, if you just look at the way that Jesus broadcasts the gospel in his ministry from Mark 1 through to Mark 16, he's never chasing anyone down and just saying, come on, please. It's really interesting. He's really non-anxious about it. Does that mean he's unfeeling? No, he weeps over Jerusalem, over their hard-heartedness. But I just think he knows this is the reality of the way that the gospel advances. This is the reality of kingdom-growing ministry in this life. We sow the seed, and there's mixed results. In fact, if you want to really break it down mathematically, economically, he's got, what, four soils here? There's only one that really does anything good. So do we despair? Do we, do we think, well, what about the mission that he's given us? Like, what, do, should we just give up? No. We continue to obey his commissioning to us to make disciples of all nations. And we understand that as we do it, there's mixed results. And then we look at the, hist- the last 2,000 years and see, we see the gospel spread from Ju- Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the, literally the ends of the earth in Caroline Springs. And we say, okay, we can trust God with this. Struggling a bit up here. I know you guys are all cheering me on. I just can't hear what you're saying. (laughs) Others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. I wonder if you can think of an example of someone in your own life who has behaved in this way. I took a real beating early on when I became a Christian. I was this 19-year-old kid, and I was just, I just so freshly had experienced God's grace to me. I, um, and I saw myself so much in the in the typology of the of the lost son, like I just, I, I knew that at least in my recent history, that I'd spent a lot of time in foreign lands, and feeding pigs, and I was overwhelmed by the fact that that God welcomed me home like a son and not like a slave. Right? I just I was so overwhelmed with that, and so I had a particular burden for, especially guys who were really um, living rebelliously, like. The kind of people who you say, well, I'd love him to become a Christian, but there's just no chance, right? He's just, he's too far into this stuff, and that's so much different than what Christians should be doing. And so I really felt for those people, and the reason I took such a, a, I I experienced this as a real blow early on, because I started hanging out with this kid who was sort of notorious in my town, in, in, in Diamond Creek, notorious for being a, um, he was just a bad kid, right? Even at the football club, he was known as a bad kid, which if at a football club you're known as a bad kid, you know you're, you're pretty bad, right? 
And so anyway, I just went after this guy, me and another guy from the church. We went after this guy, and he lived just down the road from the church, like literally like 100 meters away, not even. And so we used to go after church around to his place, and we'd watch footy with him, and we'd talk to him. And eventually, it was amazing, he started coming to church. And um, initially, he said it was because there were so many hot chicks at church, which there was. And... um, and then, but then that just start, started becoming an excuse. The, the reason, you know, he would give to the footy guys why he was going to church, it's because of the girls or whatever. And then eventually it didn't become about that anymore. He was really intrigued by the person of Jesus. This figure really intrigued him, and it's particularly the way that he interacted with sinners and people like we saw a couple of weeks ago, right? Tax collectors, sinners. Jesus wanted to be around these people, and that's not the image he had of Jesus as a, as a kid who grew up in the, in the Catholic church. And so eventually he said, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And at that church we had a baptismal, like, you know, dug out of the ground, and we we baptised him there, and I'll never forget. It's, it's burned into my memory, him coming up out of the water just with fists. Fist raised, like a real sort of conquering moment, a real born-again kind of experience. And I remember going with him to a party not long after his baptism, and we went to this party, and it was at the football club, and it was just like a party at the football club always was, and, um, and... and, and in that kind of environment, you know, like I can, I can just imagine how difficult it is to own what you've just owned in a church, right? It's, it's one thing to stand up with your fist raised in a church where everyone's going to clap you. It's a different thing when everyone's going to mock you. And, and that's exactly what happened. He, he just received this, this kind of deluge of, of mockery. And I remember just standing there with him, just not knowing what to say to these people. Like, and... And from there on, really from that party on, there was just this very quick eroding of his faith to the point where, as far as I know today, he's, he hasn't darkened the door of a church in many, many years. The reason that that was so disheartening for me was because the initial conversion was so powerful, so immediate there seemed to be such immediate response, like deep down in his heart. And yet Jesus says here that, that that kind of thing can happen, but there isn't any depth to it, actually. It's almost as if he's saying the, the, the immediacy of the response, the power of the growth is almost because there's nothing really there to begin with. It's because the soil is so shallow that it shoots up so quickly But it's also because the soil is so shallow that as soon as distress comes, as soon as persecution comes, it dies. It dies. And it's so interesting how he says the distress and the persecution come not just by the by or as a matter of fact, but because of the word. It's because of the word that you're being persecuted. It's because of the word that you're being caused distress. Jesus does not guarantee that you become a Christian and then suddenly everything is good. All of your traffic lights turn green before you get there, right? That's just not what he says. He says, actually, it's because you've now got the word 
that you're going to face distress and persecution. Paul says to his little son in the faith, to Timothy, he says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You can't have one without the other. So we have these experiences of people responding to, to, to the word and then they fall away as quickly as they began and, and we think to ourselves, are we going to despair? Are we going to give up? No. We're going to remember that this is just how the kingdom advances. Now can we do all that we can to establish deep soil? Yes, by all means. But let's not despair when everything doesn't go according to plan. Let's look at the next part of it, okay? Verse 18 and 19. Others, Jesus says, are like seed sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Everyone knows this experience, right? You're trying to, you're trying to cultivate a garden. You've got some herbs you're trying to grow, maybe some veggies, tomato plants. Maybe you, just, you, you, you don't have any great vision for your garden. You just don't want it to be a complete mess. You'll know that you are constantly, from the beginning of that endeavor to the end, fighting a battle against weeds, especially where we live. We live on this Western Plains thing where it's just, it's just weeds, as far as the eye can see. And suddenly we've set up this little oasis in the middle of that and, and we think the weeds are just going to stay in their little area and not invade out. I mean, this church is just a weed catcher. The seeds from a million weeds just over the hill there just come and settle in here. Anyone who's been to a working bee at this church knows about that. When I was growing up, we had 13 acres um, out in Diamond Creek, and we used to uh, run an adjustment where people would pay us a, a fee to have their horses um, running on the land, and that all worked fine until the time where we had to cancel every adjustment we had and lost a whole lot of money as a result of this plant called Patterson's Curse, also known as Salvation Jane, which seems like a weird juxtaposition, but it's this, it's this plant that grows up in, in the wintertime, competes with um, all the other crops. And we had, you know, this grass, clover grass, really good grass for grazing. And it just comes in. It's got purple flowers. You might have seen whole paddocks just purple. It just comes in and wipes everything out. Uncontrollable. And eventually it'll poison livestock if they eat it for long enough. Weeds have this ability to choke Everything that's good. And Jesus says, in this context, as you so broadcast the good news of the kingdom of God, some people are going to receive that seed, but they're going to be so overwhelmed with weeds that it gets choked and they're left with nothing. And he says, here's, here's, uh, here's what shocks me about what he says. If he just left it as generic weeds... It wouldn't be so shocking, but he says, listen, the weeds are worries. 
and wealth. He says the weeds are the worries of this age, the worries of day-to-day living. This thing that Jesus was really, really keen that we get away from. Worry. Worries, the worries of day-to-day living and the deceitfulness of wealth. The wealth that promises us so much and leaves us with nothing of value. The wealth that promises us so much and leaves us of nothing, with nothing of value. What good is it for a man to inherit the whole world and yet forfeit his soul, Jesus says. So here's, here's what you need to know. And this is, um, this is not a rhetorical flourish. This is literally just what Jesus said. If you're a Christian and you have the seed of the word embedded in the soil of your soul, then you need to know that that seed is threatened. It's threatened by weeds. And those weeds are worries and wealth, the desire for other things, frivolous things. If you're not at least a little bit concerned about that, then you're naive. I used to run a young adults ministry and we used to have a lot of really entrepreneurial young people. I loved it. They were people who just wanted to go and do stuff, take, take risks, start new things. And it was great in ministry because you could throw an idea to them. They just, yes, we want to do it. We're going to, you know, they're going to charge the hill. We're going to make this happen. Right? Real, lots of energy. And so we kind of attracted this kind of person. I remember one young guy came to our church specifically, he said, to learn leadership skills. I was like... So you, what, do you, what, what do you want to get out of this? You say, I just want to be a better leader. I'm starting this company and I want it to take off and I'm hoping you can teach me how to be a better leader. And I was like, well, we can talk about that, but that's not really what we're here to do. You know, we're more about the, you know, Jesus. Anyway, he was a really good guy and he, was, he had this sort of integrity about him that was quite attractive. And so we, I used to catch up with him once a week, get a coffee, talk about, Jesus, and then the stuff that he actually wanted to talk about. And then eventually there was this kind of turning point, and it was over a few weeks, where he started being more interested in the Jesus bit than the leadership bit. And, and then he started asking me for books and theological books, and he still got some of my books. And um, If you're listening to this. And, uh, but again, it was, a real, it was really heartbreaking. It was, real, it was a real blow to me when his business took off. This thing that he started, which I didn't have much hope for, took off, and it took off really fast. And then all of a sudden, obviously, we're not seeing him very much anymore. And then he stopped coming to church, but he'd still meet me for these little coffee meetings, and then eventually they would keep getting postponed, and eventually he just said to me, I'm kind of, I'm kind of more busy with this now. So these pursuits, whether it's the pursuit of success or money, they can choke other pursuits, right? They can choke the passion that we might have once had for Jesus and for his mission. 
And I love the fact that he started a business and that it took off. I think more people should do that. I hope you all become multimillionaires and, and that you're able to fund kingdom ministry all around the world. Praise God. I love being around people like that. I find it energizing. It's amazing. I love it. But to the extent to which you allow it to become a weed that chokes the tree of life, you're in trouble, serious trouble. So we see people like that. And the reason it's so devastating is because we know the value of that kingdom seed and how much more valuable it is than any amount of money you could ever earn or how much more valuable it is than any concerns you could have for your kids or your spouse or for day-to-day living, how much more valuable it is, and then we see it being exchanged. Like a... It's discouraging. This is the one I've seen more often than not in this church, by the way. The last seven years, if I was going to total up the soils, this one's by far and away the most, the most common. Worries, wealth. Those things are by far the most common thing that drive people away from living kingdom lives. Should we despair of our mission? Should we second guess the commission that Jesus has given us? No, we need to continue the faithful work of broadcasting the gospel, understanding that we're going to see mixed results. God willing, more and more, though there's no guarantee, God willing, more and more, we'll see good soil producing good fruit. Verse 20, those like seed sown on good ground, hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. What just occurred to me is the welcoming of the word isn't the thing that distinguishes this part, that last group, right? Those other groups welcomed the word to an extent. Some of them welcomed it to the point of being baptized, Right? The welcoming of the word, the receiving, the, the, the embedding of the word isn't the thing that distinguishes them. What distinguishes them is the fruit that they produce. Those like seed sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. What he's talking about here is a harvest of godliness, of righteousness, of kingdom living. And so we pray as we fulfill the mission that he's given us, as we go about this work of broadcasting the gospel, we pray that more and more we see this good soil being first cultivated in our midst and then giving forth fruit 30, 60, 100 times what was sown into it. Praise God, man. We've seen, we've seen some of this in this place. We've seen the overt upfront stuff like, People becoming Christians and being baptized and people going on to full-time ministry. That's all really easy to note. But we've, we've also seen what seems like smaller victories, like addictions being overcome or marriages being mended or children being reconciled to parents. Like those, those victories are just as big. 
And what we want to see is more and more and more of that 30, 60, 100-fold harvest of righteousness. I'm out of time, and I can't get to the last part of this passage that I wanted to look at. So please do have a look at that last passage about Jesus calming the storm in your small groups. There's a lot to get out of that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these words. And I thank you that you're not restricted by the the vessel that you use to communicate these things. You're not restricted by our limitations. That your word will never return to you void. We trust that. And so now, Lord God, I pray, knowing that in a group this size, there are different soils present. I pray against our enemy, Satan, who even now is seeking to go and peck up the seed of your word. Uh, We rebuke him in Jesus' name and ask that you would clear the decks of any of those little annoying birds. Lord God, that you would be about the work now of by your spirit of softening our hearts, softening the soil so that seeds can find their way deep, that they can produce much fruit and fruit that will last. I pray that we would see 30, 60, 100 times a bumper crop, Lord, of righteousness, of kingdom living, of people who are committed to making all of life all about Jesus. It's in his name we pray.